Good morning. Thank you very much. Well, uh, as Tom said, my name's Tim, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to us from the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're in chapter 22, and uh, I've said a few times recently we're coming into the end of the book, but the last few chapters are not only crucial for us, but they're very dense. So there's lots in chapter 22. So we're still in chapter 22. We'll be there for a few more weeks. And uh, it, this is just the crucial moments of, of Jesus' life. And today we are in a, quite a bizarre section of chapter 22. We are at uh, verse 24 to 30, where the disciples come into having an argument among themselves, a dispute over who is the greatest among them, which is uh, quite a bizarre st- place to be, especially if you remember where we left off last week. Uh, so we're going to look at this together. Just to say, I'm indebted to uh, Zach, Zach Wayruck from Christ Community Chapel for a lot of the content of this message. I listened to a message by him a few months ago and just found it so stirring and helpful. I just needed to say that at the beginning. I've got three points this morning. Firstly, all is not as it seems. All is not as it seems. Secondly, how was Jesus different from these guys? And thirdly, how does this help you? How does this help us? So let's look from uh, verse 24 to uh, verse 30. This is what happened here. A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest." And the leader as one who serves. For one, for who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I'm just going to pray before we jump in. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence with us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for your word speaking life to us and explaining to us your heart towards us, helping us to understand our hearts. Lord, we do welcome you this morning to speak to the depths of our hearts. I pray, Father, that as we hear your word open, that freedom would reign in this place, that Jesus would bring about the freedom that has been won for us as we hear truth that may help us to discard lies and walk away from condemnation and guilt and shame and, and, and self-dependence. Uh, Lord, we pray, help us to know what you want to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, this passage is, is crazy, isn't it? Absolutely bizarre. It is so offensive. It's embarrassing. It's like, it's like dragging fingernails down a chalkboard. You just think, oh, don't say that. What are you saying? You just want to say, shut up. It's a bit like when someone maybe is lightheartedly joking about something and the person standing right behind them is really offended by it. Maybe it's even about them. And you're like, oh, you just want to grab their shoulders. Don't. Just, just say anything else right now. Just not that. It is, these guys are, are the worst. It's so embarrassing. It's so offensive. And the irony of it as well. Who is the greatest among us when they have Jesus Christ standing right in front of them? 
None of you, you idiots. None of you are the greatest. I mean, these, these guys haven't had an impressive uh, resume. They, they, they haven't had impressive examples at any point. They've been turning children away from Jesus. When the sick come, no, he hasn't got time for you. At one point, they even say, Jesus, would it be right for us to call down fire from heaven on this village and consume these people? I mean, guys, it's just embarrassing. And then they come to ask this question, who among us is the greatest? The answer for who is the greatest is that it's a draw. You all come in last place. (laughs) Who is the greatest? And, and we don't know yet in this story, but most of us would be aware that these guys are just about to all split and completely desert Jesus. In the next coming days, they're all about to run in different directions for their lives, holding on to their lives. And what's even worse, as I alluded to earlier, is the context that they are asking this question in. I mean, how offensive is this? Jesus has just said to them. I mean, just said in the same scene, in the same moment. He's just explained to them, in the coming days, my body will be torn to pieces for you. My blood will be shed for you. My body will be broken. He's about to go to towards excruciating pain. That's where that word comes from, excruciate. comes from the cross, the pain of the cross. For their sake, he's about to lay it all down. That's why they're in Jerusalem. That's why they've made this journey, to get there so Jesus could lay his life down. The greatest, the one that came from on high, the king of heaven, would lay down his life for them at the hands of the Romans. And their response is so crass. It's so ignorant, so self-consumed. It's almost like they say, oh, no, Jesus, that's terrible. That sounds, oh, that's horrible. I can't stand to even think of that. Who's the greatest among us? I mean, goodness me, it is embarrassing. And we shake our heads. We think, oh, they are embarrassing because they're nothing like us, right? I mean, thank God for that, at least. At least they're nothing like us. Well, here's the thing. I'm sure you're not surprised I'm going to say this. The Bible is awesome in its insight. The Bible it says about itself, it's the, the breathed out words of God. It splits bone and marrow with its insight. It's, it knows us better than we know ourselves. It's God's revelation of himself, and it shows the depths of his heart towards mankind. His heart of love, his holiness, but it also reveals the depth of the heart of mankind. As you read the Bible and get to know it more, you realize more and more the Bible reads you. It it helps you understand, oh my goodness, that's what I'm like. God knows your heart. And he knows how it works better than you understand yourself. Sometimes we can read the Bible and think, what on earth is that about? Or you might hear a message on a Sunday and think, that guy was completely off base. There's nothing, I can't relate to that at all. And then maybe weeks or months later you might come back and think, Oh, oh, that was exactly me. I've just proved that point. You might come back around and say, oh, yeah, no, God's just proved that point. That, that, that was me. That was very much me. You see, this passage, it, it, what's important for us this morning to know is it's not actually 
simply about arrogance and pride. We might look at this and think, oh, these guys are proud. They're so arrogant, talking about who's the greatest among them. But actually, as we look a bit deeper, there's more to it than that. And perhaps this morning, you might know, actually, I'm somebody who struggles with a bit of arrogance. You might know I'm somebody who is quite proud from time to time. In fact, we all are. We all struggle with pride. But maybe today you'll realize that there's more to it than that for you. You'll understand, no, there's more to it than that. As we look at this, these disciples aren't as arrogant as it may seem. Or at least it's not simply 12 men who really think that they're the greatest. That's not what's going on here. They're not really thinking, no, I am the greatest. No, there's more to it than that. This is a picture of 12 men who are desperately struggling with insecurity. They're desperately struggling with insecurity. Desperate to prove themselves. Desperate to establish that they are justifiably included in this group. I I do deserve to be here, right? I am am included, right? I've done enough. I've done enough to be here. They're desperate to have another question answered. Do I belong? Do I belong in this group? Am I acceptable? Am I an imposter? Ever feel that in your workplace or in your friendship circles? I feel like I'm an imposter here. I shouldn't really be here. I don't deserve to be here. Am I acceptable? Am I an imposter? Why am I saying that? I mean, they're saying who's the greatest. So why am I going on about their insecurity and their desire for belonging? Well, if we go back just a few verses, we see where this dispute arose from. And it came from this moment. It said this in verse 21. But behold, Jesus is saying this as he's just finished the Lord's Supper, explaining that. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Jesus has just dropped a bombshell on them. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to reveal your true colors. One of you is going to reveal just how weak and feeble and undeserving you really are. And they panic. They start to turn inward. They start to look at each other. Well, it can't be me. It can't be me. It must be you. They compare in desperation to find security. It can't be me. How can I get out of it? It must be you because I'm better than you. As soon as they feel insecure, they start to look to, oh, I feel a bit comfortable because I know I'm better than him. At least I'm a bit better than him. At least I measure up. It wasn't really a dispute about who was the greatest, but it turned into a dispute about who was the greatest. They found themselves proudly arguing about who was the greatest. What was behind it was this threatening revelation that one of them was a failure. One of them was a betrayer. One of them didn't measure up. And how do they immediately prove to themselves that they belong, that they are safe, that they are acceptable, that they belong? They start to compare their worth in terms of how they measure up to one another. And it gets to the point of saying, I'm the greatest. I mean, perhaps it was like this. It won't be me. It might be, it might be Taddeus. 
Why, can it, why would it be me? It can't be me. Look what I've done. Well, I'm better. Remember how I brought Jesus the two fish and the five loaves from that boy? What about me? I was the one who Jesus laid his head on. So what? I was there when he lit up like lightning. So was I. Ah. And they've suddenly got to a place where they're saying, Jesus, who's the greatest among us? What's driving this is not pride and arrogance, it's fear. It's worry that they're not good enough, that they may be too weak, that they are a letdown. And sometimes the thing that we just cannot accept, that we just can't embrace, is that we are weak. That we're seriously weak, that we're seriously flawed, that we're going to be found out. And as I said before, the Bible is awesome in its insight. It insightfully reveals the heart of mankind. We will often cover up our insecurities with bolshy statements. You've done that and you realize, why did I react like that? Why did I say that? Bolshy statements, prideful attempts to prove that we are acceptable, that we belong. We quickly look to the right and the left to see, at least I'm better than her. At least I'm better than him. I like to stand next to people that make me feel better about myself. And comparing ourselves to others in desperate attempts to find comfort often backfires terribly as we find I'm not better than them. I was staking all of my comfort on being better than those around me and I realized I'm not better at them at this. They show me up here. Uh, Suddenly we are crushed with insecurity. I I, I don't know what I've got to offer. Everyone else outshines me. I don't know. I just feel so insecure. Or perhaps working, one of the ways we, we, we can deal with this is that we work hard to be people pleasers. I want to be a people pleaser to prove that I'm valuable. So we slog away at things, hoping it will be noticeable to people around us. Trying as hard as we can to prove, maybe even to God, that we've done enough to belong. That we've done enough to be loved. That we've done enough to justify ourselves to be confident that we're lovable and maybe even great. That's perhaps one of the ways that you might find yourself covering up insecurities. Or maybe we back right off from people, declaring, I don't need to prove anything. You know, I don't need to prove anything. You guys can jog on. And that might seem very secure, but really it's often another cover-up, isn't it? I don't want to be next to people to have to prove anything. So I'm going to be bullshit and say, I don't know, that you can get, get on with it. I'm just going to back off. And as we'll see, it's not what Jesus calls us to. It certainly wasn't what Jesus was like himself. In his utter freedom, he was able to step in to people's lives, not back off. In his freedom from worrying about what others think about him, he, he was able to love better. But we'll come on to that. Some of us, it's simply covering up insecurities with buying things. If I'm seen driving this car, if I'm seen in these clothes, if, I'm, if my house looks like this, that makes me feel like I belong in a certain echelon of society, that I belong in certain standards, I'm meeting certain standards. Others, others are, are desperate to be seen with the right people, to know the right people. Oh yeah, I've got that guy's phone number, I can get you in touch with him if you like. I've got networks, I've got links, I know people. Obviously, there's the whole online social thing of having photographs that show a certain presentation of life, and sometimes that will be desperately 
we, we're desiring others would see something that makes us feel a sense of worth. We'll do almost anything to not really admit that we're scared, we're weak, we're fragile, we feel inadequate often. We often feel insignificant. Maybe at the beginning of the pandemic you were in the, the working group that was known as non-essential. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Non-essential, great. For some of us, that's the most scary thing. I don't want to be non-essential. I'd rather be anything but non-essential. No, I want to be essential. No, no. People ask us, how are you doing? We say, I'm fine. Fine. I'm good. I'm doing really well. I'm great. Maybe even I'm the greatest. We get to that silly argument from a place of fear, a place of insecurity, of being exposed. So we can identify with this masking of insecurities. It's a bit like a serene swan on the surface paddling like crazy underneath. This propensity we have to cover our weaknesses and fears, our sense of being inadequate so that people and maybe even God will see us as acceptable so that we might get respected, taken seriously or loved. Well, Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Because deep down we know that we are weak. We are unlovable. We are not special. We're not great. But it's so hard to accept that. It's so hard to say that. It's so hard to embrace that. It's much easier to display something, to put something out there. Then we don't have to actually contend with, I'm weak. I'm not special. It's a great way to start the message, isn't it? Well, it is a good way. There's freedom here. There's freedom for us as we look further into this. The second point here is how was Jesus different? Because Jesus was different to these guys. He's nothing like this. He didn't struggle with this at all. He wasn't someone who was trying to prove himself all the time. Trying to make sure, I want to be great and I'm going to let people know that I'm great. I'm going to make sure they know I'm great. No, not at all. He wasn't like that. He was tender. He was completely others-consumed and not self-consumed. As he addressed their squabble, he exposed that even the kind of greatness that they were looking towards, even the kind of thing that they thought was great, wasn't even great. It was desperate. That was not free. It wasn't freeing the kind of greatness that they were looking towards. No, actually, he refers to the kings of the Gentiles lording it over them and giving themselves lofty titles. Talking about themselves as benefactors, as if they have special, they're specially kind to the Jews who they were, or to the people of Rome that they were actually dominating. They give themselves titles and they lord it over people. They ruled out of a place of asserting force and control because that's all they had. That's all they had to keep control was force. The only way they could be great was to dominate through fear and manipulation and keep reminding everyone how great they were. People wouldn't choose to follow them freely, but out of fear. They hadn't, didn't have a choice. I love this tweet that Sam Albury put up this week. Sam Albury's a great Christian thinker. I'd encourage you to, to read his books and, and, and maybe follow him if you're online. He said this this week. I'm not sure I could determine which is the greatest nation on earth, but surely one mark of it would be not needing to constantly say it's the greatest nation on earth. He's right, isn't he? 
constantly saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. You think, yeah, that kind of proves the point that you're not. Going on about it all the time. Trying to, trying to um, convince people. Jesus says, that's not how we're meant to be. That's not how we're called to be. It's not his example. That's not what he's called his followers to be like. You're not to be looking for security and affirmation from worldly accolades. You're not to be looking to the right and to the left to see, am I great? Do people follow me? Especially those that come from pushing others down. That's not greatness at all. No, that is not Christ-like greatness. No, Jesus says, I've shown you another way. I've shown you another way. He's been leading these guys for three years and never once have they seen him lord it over anyone. For three years they've consistently seen him lay his life down and look towards others, to serve others, to love without reserve, a genuine love. Not a love that is, uh, um, contingent, has contingencies. If you do this, this and this. No, a love that is poured out even to those who reject him. He has served, not been served. He condescended from upon high to become like the least of you. Jesus is the king of heaven. The king of creation. He was there at the beginning. He spoke the world into being and yet he gets born into a food trough. In a cave somewhere. Grows up in a backwater town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is the king of heaven. Come to the lowest position, never once trying to prove himself. He wants them to be secure, you see, in who they are. See, the difference between Jesus and these people, how he was different, is he is secure in who he is. He knows who he is. He says this, let the greatest become like the youngest. Let the greatest become like the youngest. Now, I love babies. I love babies. I've got four children. I love that phase between naught and three. They're just, they're just great fun. My daughter's in here right now. She's so fun. She, she lights up my eyes. As soon as I see her coming to the room, I'm drawn to her. I want to go to her. And what I do when I do, I go down to her level. I start talking like a baby. I get into, I roll around with her. I laugh and I smile. I, I, I'm not um, intimidated. In no way am I insecure when I'm with my 10-month-old little girl. I can love her with a genuineness. I start speaking like a baby, mimicking her, rolling around, smiling. It's so comfortable for me compared with talking to somebody who I see as important. She's very important to me, but you know what I mean. Importance of uh, standards. So it's, so it's so easy for me compared to talking to someone who's trying to get something special from me. It's, it's easy for me compared to anyone, really. Because I'm not trying to prove anything. All she wants from me is me. She just wants me to be who I am. The bar of acceptance is so low. I love her. She loves me. There's no judgment from her. There's nothing for me to feel insecure about at all. I have all the power in the relationship, yeah? I have all the power in the relationship, but because I'm in no way threatened or insecure... I want to come down to her level and I want to love her so that she knows it and she feels it. I'm not trying to get anything out of her. I just want to give myself. I'm not in no way threatened by her. I just want to give. And Jesus says this is how he wants us 
to love all the time. That we would be like that all the time, unpressured, unthreatened, secure, and able to genuinely look outwards, able to genuinely love. And then he asks this question, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? I don't know if Luke is northern, but he likes to say reclines at table. For some reason, the word the is not in there. Reclines at table. The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's the one who reclines, right? We know it's the one who reclines at the table. Who's being served? But I have come as the one who serves. And you guys have been following me. You follow me. You know that you love me. What is it about me that has been so beautiful to you? What is it about me that's been so attractive to you? The answer is this. I don't have anything to prove. And so because of that, I've spent three years genuinely loving you. Genuinely serving you. Genuinely giving of myself to you. Never lording anything over them. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who could truly say he was never insecure. Never having to prove anything. He never grabbed at greatness. Never had to snatch at greatness. Never had to take it. The opportunity came quick. I'll show them who I really am. And think about it. He had so many opportunities, didn't he? People mocking him. You're not really the son of God. Who do you think you are? At any moment, he could have said, I'll show you who I am. You're dead. (laughs) Show you who I am. Some tree exists or something. Just any moment showed his power. I mean, even on the cross, when he is, he's, he's torn to shreds and he's being mocked by people. And they're saying, you're not the son of God. If you were, you would come down from there. Even in that moment, he could have said, I am. Look, and could have got down. He could have said, God, they need to know. They need to know who I really am. No, he didn't feel any pressure to prove himself. Never once did he feel the pressure to do that. He is not insecure. He's completely secure. And he explains in verse 29 where this security comes from. He says this, As my father assigned to me a kingdom. Past tense. This has already happened. My father's assigned to me a kingdom. That makes him a king. It's already been assigned. He's not living with fear or anxiety. As long as I do this, as long as I do this, and as long as I keep my father happy, then he'll give me a kingdom. No, no, no. My father's assigned to me a kingdom. I'm a king. I know who I am. He knows who he is. He's not thinking every day, I need to show everyone who I am. They don't know who I am. They don't get it. They don't know quite how powerful I am. I came from heaven. They think I'm just a nobody. I've got to prove it. I've got to show them. No, 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 no. I know who I am. I'm secure in the Father's love for me, the Father's assignment of a kingdom to me. I am completely secure in who I am. He knows what he's come to do. He knows why he is there. He knows his mission. He knows his glorious future. And he knows the Father's pleasure. So instead of thinking about proving himself every day, he's able to genuinely love and serve others. Look what he's doing right now in this scene. I mean, this is embarrassing what they're saying. He could have absolutely lost it with these guys, right? What do you mean, who's the greatest? 
Are you joking? Look what I've just said. Look what I'm just about to do. They had acted it in this atrocious way in the midst of Jesus' anguish as he was about to approach the cross, as he was approaching the cross. But he's so strong in his gentle love that he does not lose it with them. He knows who he is. He knows what he is. He knows what he's about. He's not shaken by them. And one of the major differences between Jesus and us is that Jesus is utterly convinced that the Father is for him. I'll say that again. One of the most biggest difference between us and Jesus, Jesus is utterly convinced that the Father is for him. Are you convinced that the Father is for you or do you still live in, I'm not sure. Have I done enough? Have I proved myself? Have I worked enough for him? But Jesus is completely convinced that God is for him. He's not looking around for affirmation. He's full of it. He's full of the Father's affirmation. Imagine that freedom. To never have your sense of joy and peace determined by what people around you thought or said. You ever had that where you, you probably have it quite often like me, where you leave a conversation and you think, oh, I hope they didn't think I meant that. You leave a conversation, oh, when I said that, I didn't really mean, I was just thinking out loud. I didn't, oh, they, I think, I'm not quite sure they understood. That. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. Going over and analyzing conversations, sending texts, oh, sorry about when I said that, I didn't really mean that. Jesus never felt that kind of pressure to be at complete rest about whether you've done enough, to not need to consider whether you belong or acceptable, to never interact with people evaluating their acceptance of what you said or did to determine whether you can go to bed at ease that night or not. That was what his life was like all the time, completely at rest in his soul. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, good for him. <laughs> good for him, right? He's Jesus. Of course he's like that. No, it's not quite like that. It's good for us as well. And that's the third, third point here. How does this help us? How does this help you? It's important that we see something here. Whether you are a follower of Jesus for many years or whether you're someone who's just looking in, not even sure if you're interested. You need to see this. The disciples have been foolish and have behaved out of selfish pride and insecurity. And it's come out really ugly. It's come out, I mean, the roots are insecurity, but the, the thorns that have come out is, is arrogance, pride. And Jesus doesn't respond with anger. He loves them. His response to our insecurity is not anger. It's important that you take that in. Rather, he says to them in verse 28, you stayed with me in my trials. That's about the only positive thing they have done. They stayed with him. And that's the thing we all need to hang on to. We stay with him. You stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. They're arguing about who is the greatest to try to justify themselves. They're aware they're weak and they're desperately trying to claim that they're something, they are something that, that might earn them the title great. Here's what they're still not fully understanding. The one standing in front of them is truly great. He is the greatest. He is the greatest so they don't have to be. 
He was there to do something truly great that they could not do. They could never do what he was there to do. But he was there to share it with them. He was there to bring them along. Here's what they need to understand. He is the greatest. He's saying that he's come to be great in order that they might share with his greatness. I've come to be perfect. I've come to be sinless. You have not. I've come to die as a sacrifice for for sins. I've come to win the victory over sin and death. You have not. I've come to raise from death in victory. You have not. I have come to ascend to the Father's right hand in glory. I've come to sit at the right hand of God, to be God's king on the throne forever. It's about me, but I've come to take you with me. I've done it so that you may come with me, that you may have life in abundance. You must understand, you don't achieve your greatness. He achieves it for you. He shares it with you for eternity. There's such freedom here, isn't there? He's done it. I don't need to strive. I don't need to worry about those things, those people around me. I remember when I was 13, I went on holiday with my friend to his grandparents. They had this nice big piece of land. It had a a big lake in the middle. He had a games room. He had a cinema room. We spent the week there having a great fun time. Some of his relatives were there. We had barbecues. We went out for dinner. It was amazing. It was a memorable week. It was awesome. I didn't contribute anything towards it. I played games, I met new kinds of people, I ate great food, I relaxed, I had loads of fun. It was glorious. I'd done nothing to deserve it, but somebody brought me with him because I was his friend. And as he did, he shared his glory with me. So you can be someone who's constantly trying to justify yourself and cover up your weaknesses. You can be that person, determined not to get exposed. But Jesus called his disciples to freedom. Freedom from that as they received his greatness. Freedom to say, I'm a screw up. But I'm riding on his coattails. Doesn't matter. I'm not supposed to be the center. He's the center. There's such freedom there, isn't there? You can be somebody who is free, receiving his greatness. This comes from the recognition that life isn't really about you anyway. Your story is not really about you. You are not the greatest. If that discussion came up, I would lose every time. Who's the greatest? I lose. Who's the smartest? I lose. Who's the richest? I lose. Who's the most moral? I lose. Who's the best spouse, the best parent, the best friend, the best Christian? I lose, I lose, I lose. Every time. I'll never win those arguments. But the good news is this. Life's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's his story. It's his kingdom. He's the greatest. He gets the glory. And he says, and I'll bring you with me. I bring you with me. He wants to share it all with us. There's such freedom there. There's a, there's a great church in the States called Emmanuel Church in Nashville, and they have this mantra. Number one, I am a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. And number three, anyone can get in on this. Isn't that wonderful freedom? Oh, I don't have to prove anything. I made a stupid mistake. Yeah, it's fine. Jesus is in control. He's the center. It's all about him. It's not about you. 
Thank you, Lord. Corrie ten Boom, who was a Nazi resistor who helped many Jews escape Nazi Germany. She hid them in her own home. Amazing woman. She said this, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. You've got to be looking at him. It's all about him. It's not about me. I can make mistakes. He set me free. It's almost my qualification that I'm a screw-up. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. So he welcomes us in. There's freedom for us here today. We're going to pray now and receive this. You feel free this morning? You're feeling this sense of, thank you, Lord. You've reminded me it's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about what I can achieve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you deserve the glory. You've given us a freedom that we could never achieve on our own. You placed us on a solid rock of your greatness. Thank you so much for the liberation we have from striving for recognition, striving for acceptance, because we have it in you in abundance. Help us to be at peace. Help us to be at peace. As you said to those disciples, you have stayed with me. Help us to be at peace as we are those who stayed with you. Lord, if there are people watching or people in the room who don't know that peace, who don't know that liberty, Lord, we ask you, Jesus, to help them to step into putting their trust, their hope in you. And as they do, knowing the flooded with grace and peace, the joy of the Lord. We thank you for your kindness. Amen. Amen.